everyone, my name is Kyla. And this is Salem. In today's episode, we'll be talking about some recent medical innovations and their impact on current and future healthcare. Just a disclaimer, Kyla and I are not trained professionals and not experts in the field, and there's just some cool articles and things we came across when looking into the topic. So I guess the first one that we have is augmented reality, and it's defined as a technology that blends real-world elements with virtual ones. We usually have seen this more commonly in VR and video games. Yeah, and I know that this has been something that's been around for quite some time, though. Salem, can you talk about more like how it works in some examples? Yeah, so I guess with healthcare, these technologies kind of respond to real-time changes, you know? Kind of like how a person moves, so it would mimic those movements. Um, and then how do we like use this in healthcare? Um, I was reading like this article and some things that I came across was like surgical planning. I actually learned this in my health and philosophy of health and healthcare course. But many surgeons technically use a lot of cadavers to practice procedures before going into the real process. So in this sense, they would be able to use a VR or augmented reality instead of those cadavers. Well, yeah, and I can definitely imagine how using augmented reality would be much more pleasant to practice with rather than using a cadaver. But, you know, I wonder how effective it would be to use uh, augmented reality rather than a cadaver, just because how realistic is it? Honestly, I haven't been to, I haven't really had the experience of using <laughs> VR, even just playing video games with VR. I've probably done that only once. Um, but I think the good thing about it is like you kind of can go over and over again with the process, you know, like oh, for true. a cadaver, it's kind of just like a human body there. And obviously it's um, quite a privilege to be able to work with cadavers as these people mm -hmm. kind of donated their bodies to science. So I'm thinking cadavers can kind of last for a few years, I think maybe up to six years. I'm not really sure. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But with the virtual reality, you kind of go over it. Um, over the techniques and the process um, as many times as you want, right, before practicing yeah. um, those surgeries. And I'm sure they've made like a lot of improvements to augmented reality. Um, I mean, I think I, I would think that it's much more realistic now. I think like it would probably be effective and a good replacement or um, alternative to using a cadaver. Mm hmm. At Queens, actually, there's like a cadaver lab um, for the health sciences student to use. Unfortunately, I couldn't use it because of COVID. So we got to use like a virtual cadaver. And it was actually really cool to still use like that virtual element of it to learn about the different anatomical structures in the body. So I think like similar with like the surgical planning, it gives students to like an opportunity to learn about the human body in like a different lens and a different approach. But yeah, I'm also wondering how effective it would be because you're not actually like cutting into like a human body, right? Mm -hmm, true. So what are some real world examples of companies that are using uh, augmented reality right now? Um, some companies that I found that are implementing this is Fundamental VR. Um, I haven't heard of any of these companies, but they offer like a flight simulator type of training for surgeons. So I guess kind of like what I mentioned with like the surgical planning. Mm -hmm. uh, Karuna Labs uses evidence-based approaches to treat chronic pain through virtual reality simulations, which I thought was pretty cool. And Oxford VR uh, focuses a lot on VR that can 
be used to relieve the symptoms of mental disorders and fears. Wow, yeah, that sounds really cool. And I'm sure it would be really interesting to see how augmented reality improves in the future and all the different things that they develop with it and how they implement it into healthcare. Um, so I guess we can move on to the next innovation, which is 3D printing. And I know like there's a, usually a lot of like 3D printers and such at libraries. And I don't know, it's sort of been a growing technology in recent years, right? Like I'm pretty sure they use plastic, Salem. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've only seen 3D printers at a library. I know my friends sometimes yeah. use 3D printers to like make stands or little models for themselves. Yeah, I know. Okay, so, um, but 3D printing apparently has been growing in healthcare too. So uh, for example, 3D printing is used to make prosthetics. So each year, hundreds of thousands of people lose limbs and only a subset of them get access to a proper prosthetics. Um, and usually uh, 3D printing allows for prosthetics to be customized for different individuals. Yeah, these prosthetics, I would assume, would be very individualized because everyone's not the same, right? We all have different bodies. Even as children grow and get into like little adventures, they inevitably outgrow their prosthetics and require expensive repairs. Okay, yeah, so 3D printing also plays a role in radiology, and it's mostly in assisting in diagnostic imaging. So 3D printing can usually uh, take a 2D x-ray or a CT scan and make it into a 3D model. And physicians use this to see the makeup uh, of usually skulls, like for radiology, um, and get a more comprehensive view and maybe catch things like they may have missed in just a 2D image or an X-ray. For example, Dr. Michael Eames, he, uh, after replicating patients' forearm bones, he realized uh, that there was an injury and it differed from what he previously thought it was. And so by using 3D printing, he was able to settle on a new soft tissue procedure, one that was much less invasive and decreased the rehabilitation time and produced far less scarring. So apart from trying to catch things that they may have missed in a 2D image, physicians can also use this technique to help in examining or explaining rather a condition to a patient to help them better understand it. I think that's actually a super great thing they're doing because I know sometimes when we have doctors explaining different conditions to us, they use a lot of medical jargon and it can be overwhelming and confusing to understand. And I know like even when we're learning something, we always kind of look at it in different ways, right? Like whether you're looking at like a model or looking at ways to solve like a math problem, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think just like having that tool to aid in understanding for like patients is super helpful. Yeah, because I know just looking at things in 3D, it makes it a lot more helpful rather than just looking at a 2D image, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the third thing uh, is bioprinting. And this is something that we're sort of still working on. So right now, the conventional means of treating patients is to use um, autografts. Uh, which is taking tissues from one part of the body and transferring it to another part uh, when there are organ failures. And another, another means is using organ transplants from a donor. But bioprinting uh, 
could actually be a better alternative to doing this. Yeah, so bioprinting is an additive manufacturing process. Um, I know it sounds super similar to 3D printing, where it uses a digital file as a blueprint to print an object layer by layer. But unlike 3D printing, bioprinters print with cells and biomaterials like stem cells, creating organ-like structures that let living cells multiply. Mm -hmm. And this would significantly improve the organ transplant process. Um, so for example, uh, I know this is commonly used or like it's hoped to be more commonly used for burn victims. So uh, they're hoping to 3D print skin so they don't have to take skin grafts and transfer uh, skin from one area of the body to another. Instead, they could just 3D print skin and um, help uh, burn victims in this way. So although this is just one example, they're hoping to make fully functional internal organs as well, such as hearts, kidneys, and livers. Um, and though this sounds very futuristic, advancements with this 3D printing is actually happening at a very rapid rate. So for example, in April, 2019, scientists created the first 3D heart using a patient's biological materials. Um, and it was a really tiny replica using uh, and created using patients, uh, the patient's own biological materials. Oh wait, that's actually really cool. I know like organ donations are really hard to come by as there needs to be many tests to see if one individual, let's say like a kidney fits the requirements to be a donor for an individual with let's say kidney disease that needs a new one. But there's like that long transplant list. There's probably maybe underlying conditions, even like blood type and all the fancy medical things that need to be considered. But by being able to print out these organs by using the patient's own biological materials and like their medical requirements, it could potentially save many lives. I think what the strange thing about it is like having a man created organ in your body. I don't know, Kyla, do you think you would like be up for that? Like you'd be receptive of it? To be honest, I think I would be fine with that. I know like there are lots of um, different viewpoints, especially relating to ethics. Um, personally, I'm not too bothered, I'd say. I think it's really important to preserve, preserve life. And so if um, a 3D print, uh, if 3D printing techniques are going to save lives, um, then, you know, I think, and I think it's a better option uh, rather than uh, donating organs, because well, I'm sure I'm sure you can probably understand why I think that, right? Like, <laughs> mm -hmm, for sure. I think it's just a thing where it can be more effective in a sense where it could save a lot of people. I know many people who have to like suffer because they can't find or get that transplant that they need, mm -hmm. right? So I guess yeah. if the bioprinting comes to be effective and it becomes like a legitimate thing that is you know accepted by the medical community then I'm sure a lot of people will be saved from it moving on from that that was actually a pretty interesting topic taking something that we kind of use in like an office or like creating things that we first seen in like a library to creating yeah. organs um the next thing that I have is like a smartphone connected pacemakers I know pacemakers have been around for like a really long time but what they started to do is they started to use or develop um, smart device apps 
And basically, these uh, smartphone apps can um, allow for remote monitoring of cardiac pacemakers. So I was actually reading this article from Cleveland Clinic, and they were actually saying that it resulted in a significantly higher rate of scheduled transmission success compared with like the trend the trend with the traditional manual and automatic bedside monitoring. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it was a lot more effective because patients can use their own personal devices and they can directly monitor their pacemaker and transfer that data to patient management networks. Yeah, you're right. Um, they actually did a study that went on for like 12 months in 2018, and they had like different like control groups. So one used like the traditional bedside manual console, then other one would use like the wireless automatic communication, which be, would be like the smart device apps. They also had another group for uh, defibrillators, and I, they also used that similar automatic uh, communication, and it was found that there was a 94.6% rate consistency with like the scheduled transmission success um, with the automatic ones with your cell phone. Um, mm-hmm. I think still with the traditional bedside one, it was still effective at maybe like a 92%. Um, but we can see that the numbers are were a lot like um, greater when they used uh, the smartphone app. So from this example, I'm kind of thinking of ways technology such as personal cell phone devices can change the game in medicine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I have my cell phone around me all the time. So I feel like it would be useful for patients to use their cell phones for this. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to actually like go to the hospital and all the records and all the data is still being transported um, directly because of the technology. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess I'll move on to precision medicine, uh, which is basically tailoring treatments and medications to individuals rather than a one size fits all model. And this takes into account the patient's genes, environment and lifestyle. I think that's actually a great idea. I know like I learned um, this year from my Uh, different courses that we learned about like the different factors and determinants of health and sometimes health isn't just a physical state but can be like your mental and social state as well so making these treatment plans to fit an individual actually sounds like a pretty good idea Mm -hmm. right and this uh, concept of precision medicine has actually been around for quite some time but they are uh, making advancements to it so just kind of something to help you get a better understanding of it is uh, you can think of it as blood transfusions. For example, uh, they don't just give people blood like, you know, willy nilly, um, right? They <laughs> and, and get blood from donors and just uh, give it to people who need it. Um, but it's personalized to the patient receiving it based on blood type, right? Yeah, so that's like sort of some a way you could think about precision medicine. So uh, a current example with precision, precision medicine today is with precision medicine, cancers that are genetically alike are treated similarly. So for example, doctors know um, a certain drug works to treat leukemia only when the cancer cells have one particular genetic makeup. So when they see this particular genetic makeup in a patient, uh, a cancer patient, then they'll treat them with this particular drug rather than another one, for example. Oh, I see. Um, That's actually pretty cool. And the whole blood type example actually makes sense to me, too, And because this is kind of new to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so precision medicine is actually largely based on genetic tests. 
And something I actually learned about recently was how genetic tests are mostly done on people of European ancestry. So I'm sure you could kind of see how, and I, I know like DNA, like we're 99.9% identical, um, but there's an important 0.1% that makes us different and makes our, in our genes, that makes us different. And this causes our response to drugs, for example, and response to different treatments different. Uh, based on the individual. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a problem though, isn't it? If these genetic tests were mostly done with people of European ancestry. So how would these results kind of affect those of other ethnic backgrounds? Uh, yeah, so for example, like uh, for individuals with hypertension, I know those of European ancestry tend to have better response to B blocker drugs than those of African ancestry. And this is because those of African ancestry are about twice as common to have genes that result in a decreased response to these drugs. Uh, and so as a result, um, those of African ancestry are typically given other drugs to treat hypertension, such as diuretics. And this is an example of precision medicine, but I'm sure you can see if, if most genetic tests are done on those of European ancestry, then we wouldn't know this information about those of African ancestry, and we wouldn't know how to tailor drugs specifically to that ethnic group. Mm -hmm, for sure. And it'd be important because then we would be able to like avoid prescribing drugs with side effects for certain individuals. In this sense, it can actually probably do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Right. And another pro to this is that it eliminates trial and error inefficiencies and costs. So um, sometimes doctors will just prescribe, you know, like the one size fits all sort of uh, treatment or drug for an individual and uh, go through different drugs and see which one works best. But with precision medicine, we are, we're instead basing it off the individual's genes and then finding which um, treatment or drug suits them on the onset. So it completely eliminates these costs or well, not completely, but you know, um, they're working towards eliminating these costs and efficiencies. Mm -hmm. I mean, precision medicine actually sounds like a great idea. I think the one thing that will, technology will probably help in time is just like the timing of it and its effectiveness with time because I know when you're thinking of medicine obviously you're kind of tailored to treat the individual regardless of whether like the one size fits all or you're kind of treating it pertaining to the person's genes but if every person was treated with precision medicine it would definitely take a lot longer but I guess that's where technology kind of comes in. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I'm really excited to see how we're going to advance in terms of technology and other medical innovations and how the, these things are going to play a role in healthcare in the future. Yeah, I think even with all these medical innovations, things like the augmented reality, 3D printing, using smartphone devices and precision medicine, while these things are really good in creating new treatment plans and better innovations to you know, have more effective treatments, I think there's a lot of ethical concerns as well that can kind of be involved. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, like I'm, I, I'm thinking like out of the things we talked about, probably the 3D printing, especially like for the bioprinting, uh, that, that might be like a big concern for people. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about earlier how 
some people not, not might not really be receptive of those man-created organs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know even with like the COVID vaccine right now, it's a mRNA vaccine and many people are really skeptical about different things. Um, obviously, there's different uh, articles and research done of these different things, but I know everyone's always going to have their own opinion about these things. I think another one that is super important is like tampering with genomes and DNA. Um, have you heard of CRISPR? Uh, yeah, I've heard of CRISPR a bit. I think it's kind of like where they edit your genomes and you directly go in and edit a person's DNA. So I guess that also has some ethical concerns as well because you're literally tampering and playing around with another person's DNA and genetic makeup. Yeah, definitely. So I think like uh, these ethical concerns are a huge thing to think about when moving forward with future technologies in, in medicine and medical innovations, definitely. Yeah, so I guess it's just something for all of us to kind of know and always think of at the back of our head. While the more medical innovations are created, there are more ethical considerations that we'll have to consider. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's all we have for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed learning something new about these recent medical innovations. Make sure to join us next week for more of these kinds of podcasts on our podcast, Pump Pod. Feel free to follow us on Spotify so you can get updates on all our new episodes and uploads. And check out our Instagram at Pump Professionals. See you in our next episode.